This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Had a great conversation this morning with someone who was high up in the media world and used to help to put together federal debates. If we go back to last night, there are so many little nuances that happened in the federal debate, and, and we could look at those, but I don't want to. It would be interesting, but I want to look at something else very quickly. I want to look at the fact that last night was the one and only English language debate. And we had broadcasters from all the major networks represented, and we had all six federal candidates there. Well, the thing that they once talked about, not even that long ago, was not one debate, but weekly debates. Every Monday, let's have a debate. And you know what happened? That was turned down. And it was turned down probably in the face of fear more than anything else by the people who handle each of those election campaigns. And it's kind of a strange thing that when we're looking for the leader of a country— Right. If you're going to lead a country, I don't care what country it is. I don't care how much square area you have. I don't care what your population is. If you are leading a country, that's big. And you would think that leaders of a country or prospective leaders of a country would be afraid of nothing. If you go back in time far enough, you kind of had to be to lead. Genghis Khan, probably not afraid of many things. Probably more of a take-charge kind of individual, don't you think? We can go back through a number of leaders. Some of them got well off track. So I don't want to take too many people from the Mongol area and say, yeah, yeah, yeah or the Mongol era, and say, yeah, that, that's kind of the way we should be. That's not my point. But you should have the ability to be fearless. You want to throw something at me? You throw it at me. I'm going to handle it. That's what you want in a leader. Absolutely, that's what you want in a leader. And the idea that we have one English language debate that's full of people talking over each other. Some moderators did a good job. Other moderators let it go. You weren't going to win having six people trying to have their voice heard. At the same time, over a two-hour period. Whoever thought that would be fine and everybody would play nice in the sandbox, misguided, mistaken, not going to happen. But if you had a debate each and every week, you would actually get somewhere. Because the mystique of the debate, the pressure of the debate would disappear. And you would actually get down to some business eventually. You would probably draw in quite the following. Because... Did you hear what they said last week? Let's see what they hear this, they say this week. That's what we would get. And it would have more of an attraction. Now, it, it involves bringing all of those leaders to the same place at the same time each and every week. But let's face it, they're flying all over the place. And nobody is looking and saying, well, I'm going to be in Lethbridge, so I better also hit Medicine Hat and Okotoks. 
They're not doing that. They're just going wherever. You know, we've had the Prime Minister and Andrew Scheer accused of kind of following each other and trying to time all of their appearances and landings in certain areas. And of course they're doing that. That happens every single time. But if we took away the, well, this is one debate, this is the only debate, we would be doing Canadians a service. This was a great idea. Unfortunately, you've got handlers now, and handlers don't want anything. I always refer back to Prime Minister Stephen Harper, who's a phenomenal guy. He's just a great guy. Down to earth, easy to talk to, just a good person. But when you watch the progression of Stephen Harper, it went from him being open to talking about anything to him needing to know what was going to be talked about to him basically having his handlers dictate what was going to be talked about to him not talking at all. This is going to be a photo op because something had gone wrong. The handlers need to get out of the way. The handlers are causing some problems for us right now. And this happens at all levels. This happens everywhere. But we need fewer handlers. If you are a leader, you need people who are going to run your schedule and do this and do that and give you advice. and Get out of the way. I want to see someone able to lead. I want to see someone who is fearless. I want to see someone who says, you know what, you're going to have a debate, I'm going to be there. I will take on anything. But the fear is that they will say something wrong. In sports, it's called playing not to lose. So if you have a team that is playing to win, that's a team that is not afraid of anything. That's a team that will just go out there and they will give it everything they have and they know full well they might lose because it could happen. But they also know if they play that way, they have a good chance of winning. In politics, we don't have that. Everybody plays not to lose. Everybody is in a prevent defense. And a prevent defense in football is pathetic. It's there because you have such a big lead. You want to you want to back everybody up. You give the offense in front of you a chance to move the ball, but not too much. You don't let anybody get behind you. That's what a prevent defense is. That's how every politician operates now. And I don't know that we're better off for it at all. This is about playing to win. This is about playing to lead. This is about wanting to be the person who is the most important person in the country, who will guide this country in good direction. And it's not even just about the country sometimes. It could be about the province. It could be about a municipality. It doesn't matter what it is. You want fearlessness. I don't know about you. I didn't see fearlessness last night. I didn't see that at all. I saw two cardboard cutouts playing the same game of politics. I liked Jagmeet Singh. I liked what he was doing. He seemed human. That was good. You had the Bloc Québécois being the Bloc Québécois. What is Canada doing for us? Okay, please stop. We know your stance. That That's fine. Now you've said it. Please just remain there. You had Maxime Bernier not causing as many ruffles and ripples as I thought he would with the People's Party of Canada. And you had Elizabeth May, who quoted over and over again from different environmental groups and organizations, and and that's going to happen. But overall, you didn't have anybody who was showing, I am going to be a fearless leader. And I don't know about you, that's what I want. The world bothers me in that we have administrators who have no experience doing anything who are now in positions that they should not be in. 
because they have risen up the ranks as administrators. That's it. They have no experience doing what the job is that they're overseeing. They can't offer any help. They're not fearless leaders. They're trying to protect their own backsides. And politics has acted the very same way. What did you get last night? And do you feel we have a fearless leader? Who was the last fearless leader that we had? Pick one anywhere. You know, who do you feel? If we go back, whether it's municipally, whether it's provincially, whether it's federally, who was the last fearless leader that we had that you looked at and went, that person is taking this country somewhere. That person is taking this city somewhere. That person is taking this province somewhere. Who would that have been? Who would you name as a fearless leader? Because I didn't really see one last night. I saw a lot of charisma from Jugmeet Singh. And the potential, maybe. But overall, if you look at somebody who you would name and say, yeah, that I would I would follow that person wherever that person makes me excited to do something good. That person inspires me. That's what that's what a good leader is. And they're hard to find. I'm not saying we should just automatically have one each and every election because we won't. That kind of person to put themselves into that kind of position. That's that's going to be rare. Because not every fearless leader is someone who wants to run for politics and certainly can't get through the rigmarole that it takes to have a shot at being the prime minister. Fearless leaders. We've been talking about fearless leaders. I want to address one because no one had mentioned this yet. We were talking, obviously, about the leaders debate last night, but I didn't want to dig into who won, who lost. That's been done today. What I didn't see was a fearless leader. And I got to thinking, when was the last time we had a true fearless leader? This is someone that you just you want to follow. You believe that they can make changes. They inspire you. We don't have that. We have people who win. We have people who own the position as the prime minister. Jack Layton was a great example that people listed as someone who maybe could have been a true fearless leader. He certainly inspired. Unfortunately, we lost him far too soon. We've had Winston Churchill, JFK, Nelson Mandela, Bishop Tutu, Martin Luther King Jr. We've had a lot of great names mentioned. Uh, Jean Chrétien was mentioned, Nelson Mandela. Um, Ali said Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, who I don't know a lot about, ex-Prime Minister in Pakistan, who ended up being hanged. But Mike... Gave us this one. And it takes the conversation in a completely different direction. And in just a minute, we're going to be talking about bosses as fearless leaders. And we're going to be talking about working for good managers. But here's the name that Mike gave. And I love that he did this. Because I think there's a lot of truth to it. Fearless leader? Donald Trump. Yeah. Mike's not wrong. Donald Trump is a fearless leader. And here I've been pontificating away about fearless leaders and the importance and why don't we have the same type of thing over and over again. Where have all our fearless leaders gone? And yet, as Mike says, Donald Trump, though it could be argued that fearlessness isn't all that makes a good leader. Mike, do you have a book of sayings? I'm I'm thinking you should write one. I'm thinking you have enough because Mike gave us that we shouldn't look at preventing, we should look at 
preparing. So it's not necessarily about prevention. It's about preparation. Now you've come up with this. Mike, we're going to start writing those down. We're going to turn these into a book someday. I don't know any publishers, but we'll find one. But think about that. Donald Trump is a fearless leader, maybe fearless to a fault, depending on what happens as we go back to phone conversations with the leader of the Ukraine. That's fearlessness to a fault. Yeah. It's not what it's all about. It's not the only thing that you need as a leader. Mike, thank you for turning the conversation in that direction. Because he's not wrong. Donald Trump is a fearless leader. But maybe a fearless leader can go too far. You can be too fearless. You see that guy? Look at how fearless he is. But it's true. You know, if, if you have someone who's not afraid of anything and a guided missile is coming toward your house and obviously someone who is that fearless would wear a cape, right? And the guy wearing the cape says, don't worry, I'll protect you from that guided missile. And he runs out and he gets hit by the guided missile. And that's it for him. He was a really fearless leader. You know, he he essentially sacrificed himself to take out that missile. But he probably believed that the missile would hit his chest and bounce off. There is a limit to fearlessness. I think we've just proven that. Mike, thank you for proving that. Let's talk about bosses, because a lot of times you want your boss to be the best leader. There are those who say, seek out good managers. If you truly want to be happy at work, Colin Cowherd, who works for Fox Sports, has become a big proponent of that. And he will say, if you want to be happy in your workplace, you need to seek out good managers. And here's a guy who now has a nationally syndicated radio talk show, and he's made it essentially to the height of his profession. He's on TV. If he were to lay out, this is where I want to get to, he's there. He got there. And he credits seeking out good managers for getting him there. You can seek out a good job in his mind, but how about seeking out a good manager? Well, we get to talk about that right now, courtesy of Pina Nicoli, who is a market manager for Robert Half Technology, because there is a brand new survey that is out, and that survey seems to say people leave managers, not companies. So this is kind of the, the opposite of what Colin Cowherd talks about. He says, seek out good managers, and you'll be happy. Well, what if you wind up? Without a good manager, what happens then? And the survey results seem to indicate something. Please welcome to London Live, Pina Nicoli. Pina, thanks so much for being here. Hi there. Pina, let's look at the survey itself. Who did you talk to and what did you ask? Um, so we surveyed employees um, or you know individuals that are working um, and asked them um, if they've ever quit a job due to a bad boss. Um, and the survey results were that two out of five Canadian workers um, that we surveyed have um, quit uh, their job due to a bad boss. And you surveyed hundreds of people to get this as well. So yes. two out of five. Yes. Does that sound high to you? Well, I mean, you know, 40%. I, I don't, I think I'm not surprised by that number um, because I think that, um, you know, like you said, the, that whole idea about seeking out a good boss it's the same thing that we hear that people leave jobs because, you know, they're, they leave their managers, not the job. Um, so oftentimes it's that relationship that uh, is, um, 
you know, like the, um, the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back and makes somebody want to leave a job. Okay, then let's dig into this a little bit. If we were to describe a boss that maybe wasn't doing what they could be doing, that, that an employee is going to look at and say, eh, I don't know, what traits would that boss have? Well, I think probably like communication would be really high on that list. Um, I mean, obviously, if you need support and you can't get it because your boss is not accessible, maybe they're, you know, not in the office or they're always in meetings or they don't give you time, that's obviously going to um, impact your ability to do your job and maybe your confidence in being able to deliver um, on your responsibilities. So I think that would be um, uh, one that would be high on that list. Um, another one would be micromanaging. So, you know, a boss that's maybe constantly asking for updates or giving you a lot of direction on exactly how you need to do something might make you feel like you're not, you know, they're, they're not confident um, in your abilities or, or, you know, feel that you can make a good decision. Um, and then I guess the other one is if they're not there to support you. So if they are leaving things up to you to resolve on your own and they're not in your corner when things don't go well, um, that might be another thing that would prompt you to, you know, maybe want to, to make a change. Yeah, it would seem to be a fine line for a boss to walk, to manage but not micromanage, to leave alone but don't leave them too alone, and, and it can be a, a, a real challenge. And you're saying that two in five people have basically decided to leave a company, not because of the company, but because of the boss. We're talking with Pina Nicoli, who is the market manager for Robert Half Technology. So... When you look at, at maybe what a boss could do in order to be a better boss, what would you point to? Well, I think, you know, maybe having some ground rules with your team in terms of the best way to to get in touch with you so that way you can have open lines of communication. So whether that's having rec- regular meetings or, or checkpoints, uh, you know, I, I think that that would help uh, to ensure that people's expectations are being met, uh, but also to give people a forum to be able to get feedback and to, you know, um, discuss things that are challenges. Um, I also think that um, another um, strategy would be to, you know, have clear expectations as well around what people are responsible for um, and maybe share with them, you know, how you want them to report out uh, so they know what you need as far as information so you're not chasing them all the time. Um, for for details or, you know, not directing them on on, uh, all the little details of everything they're doing. So I think that would probably be a good starting point is just, you know, having the conversation early on in the reporting relationship so you can establish some ground rules. Communication, ground rules, conversation, always healthy things in the workplace. Pina, thank you so much for having this conversation with us today and bringing forward the information that you guys came up with. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Pina Nicoli, market manager for Robert Heff Technology. We've been talking a lot today about leadership and leaders. And if we even go into the data a little further, Pina looked at a couple of the things. So a bad boss is hard to reach or a bad boss is a micromanager or a bad boss leaves too much to everybody else. Some of the other things that actually came out of their research, bad boss schedules too many meetings. Ever had one of those? Yeah, we should have a meeting. Yeah. I don't know about you. I detest meetings. They can be good. I would rather have a brainstorming session, which is not the same thing. 
A brainstorming session is one where you know what it is you're going to be talking about. You go there. You probably bring ideas. Other people bring ideas. You leave energized. That's a fantastic thing. And you can do it with one person, two people, ten people. doesn't matter. But if it's, ah, here we go for the regular Monday meeting. All right, all in favor of ending this meeting, say aye. Can I have a seconder? That kind of stuff. You know, having a meeting for the sake of having a meeting? Uh, I don't know if you're getting anywhere there. But I'm not a boss. A uh, bad boss treats workers like they're interchangeable. You know, and that's that's something that you've got to watch out for, too. Yeah, you know, we could maybe just find somebody else. You know, if you don't want to do it, I got a list of 200 resumes behind me. I'll find somebody who can do that job. Anybody can do what you do. You got to watch that. Bad boss plays favorites. Ever worked for a boss like that? Yeah, who gets all the perks? Yeah, who gets to do this? Who gets? Yeah, bad boss plays favorites. Also, a bad boss will ignore a toxic employee. You know, being a boss is tough. I think it's the same reason that a lot of people do not go into politics for the reason that they would have to play the game. Being a manager involves playing a game. You've got to keep those above you happy, and you've got to keep those below you happy, and somehow find a way to be happy yourself, or the job will stress you right out. And that's not a healthy situation either. But toxic employees, you've got to identify them. You've got to remove them. If they're causing a problem in the workplace, that can't happen. A bad boss assumes the worst as we continue on the uh, the digging into the survey. Bad boss assumes the worst. Uh, bad boss will keep their employees from growing. Yeah, good boss. This, this is one of those things that going back to what Colin Cowherd was saying, this is what you have to have. You have to have somebody who recognizes what you do well and then puts you in that position so that you can grow and do the things that you do well. That's how their company's going to succeed. If you've got somebody doing something well, put them in that spot. Give them the opportunity to do that. Uh, bad boss cultivates a scary reputation. I can't believe that that would still be on the list. You know, that was an old way of doing things. That's an old way of coaching. Yeah, you scare them. Old way of teaching. If you don't do this, you're going to fail. If you don't do this... You're going to be cut. If you don't do this, you're going to be fired. That scare tactic really doesn't work anymore. You're not going to see too many people. You've got a lot of young people who aren't afraid to be fired. Some, sure, but they're not necessarily afraid to be fired. So that scare tactic, no. And a bad boss takes things personally. Yeah, you can't, you can't be a good boss and do it for personal reasons. You've got to have a little bit of that that corporation passion or whatever it is that you're doing. You have to be passionate about that. You have to believe in that. You have to believe in the success of your team. And if it's all about you, it's not going to work. You know, you, you can't do it as your own personal gain. Well, you didn't do this and now I look bad. It's not about you. It's about the success of the corporation. So really interesting study that breaks down into all of those categories. Debates, debates, debates. We've still got three left on 980 CFPL. I know the federal leader debate is over. The English version is over. That'll be the only one. It's because everybody's afraid. Don't be so afraid. Play to win. Don't play not to lose. That's what not having debates is all about. You're playing not to lose. 
It's not a trait of a leader. Well, this morning, we had the first of four local debates, which you can go back and check out at 980cfpl.ca. You can find on the Craig Needle Show podcast. So please do that if you live in London West, especially because the five candidates from London West were right here at Chorus Radio London. And they were involved in a debate that you can also see on our Facebook page if you want to see all of their smiling faces. We had a number of, you know, great things said. Uh, we can't really wrap them all up into a, a nice little two-minute package. However, we can do the next best thing. We can tell you where to find it, which, again, is on the Craig Needle Show podcast, is on our Facebook page, or at 980cfpl.ca. And we can talk with Craig Needles, who moderated the debate this morning. He joins us in studio right now. Craig, you have moderated all kinds of debates. When you sat down today with the five candidates from London West, any kind of a different feel? No, it, it, it's become pretty old hat by now. I feel pretty good about the format we have on the show at this point. Uh, and I think that the, the candidates and the, the audiences feel good about it too, uh, which gives me a leg up on the national leaders debate last night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I felt pretty good about how the format worked and, uh, and how the conversation with the London West candidates today. And you use the right word there, conversation, because at times that debate last night was not a conversation. It was how can I get my voice louder or how many people can talk at the same time? I don't know if we that all six last night. We definitely had four or five at oh, the same time. Uh, yeah, we didn't have that today, which was good. Now we had disagreement, which is, is, is what you want. And that's the political process. This is my vision for Canada. This is my vision for Canada. Voters, which one of these do you like better? That's how this is supposed to work. And I think that's how we, uh, how we had it this morning. So in terms of things that you talked about, what did you highlight? Uh, we talked a lot about uh, pharmacare and and uh, and medical care in the country. We had uh, some good conversations about the economy, uh, specifically in London, because we hear a lot of numbers from the, the, the liberals, especially about hey, the economy is doing great here and great here. But in London, if you just dig down to just the, the the workforce participation rate numbers and things along those lines, we're not doing particularly well. And I, I think that just taking a walk downtown will uh, will encapsulate that. So we had some good conversations about that too. Okay, and. You know, the walk downtown, that sort of thing. People get concerned about that. People are always concerned about jobs. Did you find the candidates, and there were five of them, did you find them turning toward those or staying away from those topics? I think that they had things that they wanted to talk about because they've all got things in their platform that are related to all the topics that I asked about today. It's just they wanted to focus the conversations on the things that they think, you know, make sense in the platform and the things that uh, they think the Canadians will like that are in the platform. So... Uh, yeah, they, they, they had their, definitely their spots where they wanted to steer the conversation. We asked about supervised consumption sites as an example. There's a couple of candidates I don't think really wanted to talk too much about that. So there's that as well. Well, you can catch it on the podcast for the Craig Needle Show. And there are more debates to come. In fact, three more yeah. debates to come. What's next? Thursday, same time at 10 a.m., we've got the London Fanshawe candidates here. A week from today, uh, the London North Centre candidates are going to be here at 10 a.m. And then uh, a week from Thursday will be the Elgin Middlesex London candidates. And then it's just about time to vote. Craig, yeah. thanks for this. Thank you, Mike. Craig Needles, host of the Craig Needles Show, 9 to noon, Monday to Friday. So today, Marianne Hodge from the Green Party, Shauna Lukowitz from the NDP, Liz Snellgrove from the Conservatives, Kate Young from the Liberals, and Michael T.J. McMullen of the People's Party of Canada, all here at Chorus Radio London. And the next one comes up 10 a.m. Thursday.
If we're not concerned about what's happening with our youth, we've got a problem. Because eventually we're going to have to rely on them to be making the right calls and calling the right shots and looking after the rest of us. We all used to be in their shoes. People like to say, oh, kids today. Oh, kids. They've been saying that forever. Kids turn out just fine. And in fact, I think they have better opportunities now than maybe ever before. However, they have more challenges, different challenges than what maybe they've ever had before. And there is a four-part series at globalnews.ca that has been put together by Laura Hensley. And we've been able to check in on part one and part two. Well, part three is out. And part three looks at basically mental health services. So please welcome to London Live, Laura Hensley. Laura, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Laura, let's look at mental health services. If we're to read the headline in part three, let's look at it here. One size doesn't fit all. Canadian campuses desperately need better mental health services. When you went to explore this, where did you go? Well, you know, I spoke to a lot of different students uh, that went to different colleges or universities in Canada and sort of asked them, you know, what was your experience like trying to access mental health services when you were at school? And many, many students said it was just so challenging to navigate. Either the services weren't well advertised or when they did try to access services, there was such long wait times. And the help wasn't necessarily that beneficial. So in speaking to the, you know, the universities and colleges themselves, there's sort of this overarching theme, and that is there is so many students asking for mental health services, and there's just not enough resources to meet that demand. So when we're talking about mental health issues, you were able to explore what some of those would be. What categories would they fall into? I think... The, when we're talking about mental health, it can be, you know, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. It can be anything. But, you know, research sort of shows that more and more students are having most commonly anxiety and depression. And so this can be because of the fact that they're completely stressed out at university or college. They're going into an environment they've never been before. There's a financial burden of paying for the school. And then on top of that, they might not necessarily have the coping skills that they need to navigate all this. So you're sort of in this perfect environment where you have all this change going on. And we also know that the onset of the onset story of 75% of mental health issues happens for the first time under the age of 25. So you have kids in sort of this pivotal time of their lives, and they're really struggling. And a lot of times, and you allude to this, things can compound themselves. You miss a day of class, it turns into you miss a week of class, and, and things don't get better from there, do they? Exactly. So if you're having, you know, a depressive episode, and it's really hard for you to get out of bed, you miss class, you know, your academic standing can be affected. That gives you more anxiety, can make you more depressed. You can't get in to see a counselor because there's an eight-week wait time. It just is this vicious cycle. And so, you know, the universities and colleges that I spoke to, they really said that they know that this is a problem on campus. They want to get, you know, the students the help that they need, but they just need more money to do so. So it's it's a really tricky spot right now. When we look at kind of the things that can play out, one of the things that that you do tackle in this part three of this series is suicide. That's something that you did look into. What did you find? 
Well, it's a really, it's a hard topic, but it's a really important topic. You know, at the University of Toronto, there was a student who died by suicide a couple weeks ago, and this is, you know, one of several students in the past few years who died by suicide. And students have tried so hard to bring awareness to this issue because they're saying that there's a mental health crisis on campus. They're saying at the University of Toronto in particular, the wait times are just so extreme Students don't have the resources they need to get help. And in the most unfortunate cases, this results in suicide. And there should be a lot of steps that you should be able to access those resources first. You know, suicide is such a tragic way for these students to go, and there needs to be more help so they don't get to that point. We're talking with Laura Hensley of Global News on part three of Failure to Launch Kids, and you can find that at globalnews.ca. Did you encounter anybody who had left a university because maybe they were frustrated trying to get help? Certainly. One student I spoke to, she's a 20-year-old student, she went to the University of Waterloo, and she said that the academic pressure there was just too much for her, and she was really, really struggling, and she tried to, you know, find student services to get some help because she was personally struggling struggling and academically struggling, and she said the, the services were just so hard to navigate that she eventually just fell so behind in school, she couldn't cope, and she transferred. She left the university. She just said the experience was too hard for her, and it was not an easy-to-manage, you know, network of services, and I reached out to Waterloo, and they said they've made changes since then, but, you know, the student's experience was so detrimental to her well-being that she decided she needed to, to get out. As a final note, is there anything that you discovered that that can help students if maybe they don't have the services that are easy to find or they can find frustration or things start to snowball? Is there anything that can be done or things they need? Certainly. So the first thing is, you know, even though services might be hard to navigate at this wait time, you should always still try to get help. You know, all the experts I spoke to said talking about mental health is so important. Reach out if you're struggling. Talk to a parent. Talk to a friend. Talk to a guidance counselor. Also, know the warning signs of a mental health issue. If you're going into university and you're feeling like you're struggling, know what depression looks like. Know what anxiety looks like and be able to talk to someone about it. And also, if you don't have the resources to see an on-campus counselor, See if your parents' benefits cover you to see if even a therapist for a few sessions because it's always better. Something's always better than nothing. But, you know, the bottom line is lots of people struggle with mental health. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And talking about it is the first step in sort of smashing the stigma around it. Well said. Laura, thanks so much for the work on this series. There is still part four to come, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Thanks so much for having me. That is Laura Hensley. Laura is working on a four-part series right now called Failure to Launch Kids. Let me throw a number at you because this is one that maybe it's because it hasn't been, I guess, counted enough before. Could, could that be a reason? But it's the number of students who say they are experiencing anxiety that they would call overwhelming. So if we go back to 2013 and we have the number of students who say, yeah, I've got overwhelming anxiety, and then we fast forward three years and we ask that same question to students again, are you experiencing overwhelming anxiety? You see that the number has risen 58% from 2013 
to 2016. 65% of the people who were surveyed in 2016 report overwhelming anxiety. And I don't know whether that's something that maybe we've got to better categorize. You know, anxiety can be absolutely debilitating. And anybody who suffers from it needs to certainly address it and needs help with it. But at the same time, are we also looking at, you know, life itself is a bag of stress. It is. And so when when you see those numbers, you think, man, that's off the charts. What are we going to do? But is it just a matter of learning to cope with the situation that you have? And I wonder where we, we get caught in on this, where, yeah, in 2013, when maybe the word anxiety had not been used as much as it is now, 2016 from 2013, up 58%. I find that, that very interesting. That's something that, unfortunately, you can't quantify that easily. But if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're someone who, who struggles with anxiety, you know that that's, that's crippling. It's debilitating. But at the same time, we don't want students to believe that just regular life stresses, just the way that life works, the way it unfolds, it's not easy. Life is not an easy thing. We don't want that to to have them saying, okay, well, yeah, I, I just can't do this because I, I've never done it before. I don't want to. That's something that I worry we're heading into that that territory a little bit. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.